And welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we're talking about... What are we talking about? Oh, crap. Now I forgot the name of the damn book. It's your book! I know! Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we talk about canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we will be discussing... Ah, why do I always blank on this name? And it was a good book. Why do I always do this? You did the exact same thing. I know! With a blooper reel. He he does plenty of editing. It'll be fine. Oh, it's all going in. Go ahead. <laughs> hate you so much. I know. Tonight we will be discussing... Rebel Rising by Beth Revis. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course we have Chad J. Shank and Ryan Schweck with us as always, but we also have special Net reporter Gary Mitchell joining us for a brief segment. Chad J. Shank with your spoiler warning. This is your reminder that this is a review show and not a podcast. Wow. <laughs> this is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. We will also, in the course of our conversation, spoil anything else. Star Wars, books, comics, video games, trading. I don't know what, but we're going to spoil anything Star Wars that we know you have been warned. Before we get to the news, we have a special guest, like Beth said, fan of the show, friend of the show, and now correspondent for the show, Gary Mitchell, who is back from Congregate 7 slash Deep South Con 59 in Winston-Salem. I'm hoping I got all that right. That's a very bizarre name for a uh, con. Gary has come back with a treat. He got to sit down and talk to the father of the expanded universe. Thrawn, she called. Over to you. Acknowledged, Admiral. Aralani shifted her attention to the Springhawk. Normally, she would never do this to the captain of one of her task force ships, giving a vague order on the assumption that the other would pick up on her intent. But she and Thrawn had worked together long enough that she knew he would see what she was seeing and know exactly what she wanted him to do. And so he did. Hey, this is uh, correspondent Gary Mitchell with the Execute Chapter 67 podcast. I am the pleasure and honor to be joined by Mr. Timothy Zahn, writer of some of the best Star Wars books in existence, if you were to ask me, which no one did, but I'm going to say that anyway. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me, Mr. Zahn. Uh, it's good to be here. I don't want to ask you all the standard questions everybody always asks, and I know there are questions you probably can't answer, like, are there more books coming? <laughs> What's going to happen in the live-action series? We all hope. There'll be more books. I have no idea what's coming in the live action. So those are easy to answer. Oh, good, good. So our first question we wanted to ask, though, is who's your favorite character to write in the new books? Is it still Thrawn or is it one of the side characters you've come up with? Well, Thrawn is the focus of all of them. Mm -hmm. But I've found a good cast of other characters, mm -hmm. a good range. Admiral Aralani, whose mm -hmm. history goes way back with Thrawn. People like his first officer, Samacro, who doesn't particularly like him, but it's his job to be the good first officer. And, and other people who are more ambivalent and some who are definitely hostile uh, toward him. And there are some that he's kind of impinged upon their lives and 
whether for better or worse, they're still figuring out how they want to view him. Mm-hmm. So he's the focal point, but I've got a good supporting cast that that's fun to go back and forth uh, among because they are all different. Right. And of them all, of the supporting cast, who who is the one that you were like, I've really got to explore more of this character? Is there anyone that kind of jumped out at you and like, I got to tell a little more of his, their story? Um, possibly Lakinda. She mm-hmm. was captain of one of Arlani's uh, fleet ships. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of focus on both the fleet and also her family. And uh, she gets a, a a lot more developed, I think, in the third book, uh, okay. Lesser Evil. Very excited for that book, by the yeah. way. Is there a possibility, which, this, this again, this is a question you probably don't have an answer to, but if you had the chance, would there be a possibility of further ascendancy novels after Thrawn is gone, exploring what's happening in the chaos? That actually has been one of the thoughts, if and when I can deal with Thrawn post-Rebels, mm-hmm. I will certainly want to do so. But until Dave Filoni gives me clearance to do something there, one of the thoughts was a Thrawnless Thrawn novel, mm-hmm. either picking up after the Ascendancy trilogy or picking up after Thrawn Treason, mm-hmm. where I could bring in Eli Vanto, Admiral Arlani, the various other characters that were left there. And I think I could write a good story with those without having Thrawn present. Plus, I could link somewhat to the First Order, early escapades of the First Mm -hmm. Order into the Unknown Regions. And again, right after Ascendancy, there are also options for for a new story. So I don't know what Del Rares is going to want. I hope they'll want me to do more novels. But until they decide that, there's not a lot of point of putting too much mental energy into right. what is there, what, what would, how would I develop this idea? I've got the three-sentence pitches, right? and once, you, I, once they pick one, then I can develop it. Yeah, because you don't want to throw a whole lot of effort into something that's not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah which, understandable. Classic Thrawn from the original novels versus the current iteration of Thrawn. Who, if they, yeah, very the same, because there is, there are subtle differences, because in the new series, the new canon, he's never been what I would call it a villain. He's Mm -hmm. never been a straight up villain. He's been the antagonist. Yes. And he's much more, I don't know if it's because of the way you're writing the books now, he's much more sympathetic in the new books. We're getting much more of his point of view. He doesn't seem to be as ruthless. Um, Part of that is he's older in the classic Thrawn Mm. trilogy. But a lot of it is the constraints, the political, military constraints on him are changed with each set of books. Okay. In the original trilogy, five years after Return of the Jedi, he is essentially the leader of the Empire. He doesn't have to work within the constraints of somebody else. In the, the Imperial Trilogy and the Ascendancy Trilogy, he is under command of other people. Mm-hmm. He has to, and the politics and the military, so he has to adjust what he's doing. And as you say, a lot of it's point of view. Luke Han and Leia are naturally going to see him as a vicious enemy, mm-hmm. whether they recognize that, okay, he could have done this here, but he showed mercy, so he's not as he's not a Vader type right. or a Palpatine type. And of course, he's the protagonist of these these last two trilogies, so mm-hmm. is he's going to be seen in a in a in a uh, better light. Uh, but it really, the character boils down to. He will do whatever he deems necessary to protect his people. Everything stems from that. I see in the New Republic the beginnings of another old republic that was fragmented and essentially useless. I need a military force here that I can use to deal with the enemies out in the unknown regions. Therefore, I will back the Empire. 
he has not changed his point of view. That is still his goal. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't see him as change a lot. There may be a little bit of difference in his execution and such, mm -hmm. but I think he's pretty consistent throughout the, the books. And if you had to pit one against the other, who comes out on top tactically? Would it be the maturity of the post-Jedi or... He, he hasn't really lost a game. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean if, if we had like Thrawn versus Thrawn in a chess match. Uh, he would be tactically saying, give the edge to the years of experience, probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the tactical abilities are pretty much set. Mm -hmm. Every good character needs a weakness. Thrawn's is yes. his political acumen and yes. complete, utter lack thereof. How did that come to you as a needing to give him a flaw that that's the one you settled on? It's an obvious one. Um, and he, it gets explained in, I think it's Chaos Rising, mm -hmm. that politics shifts too quickly without any hints of what's going to happen. He just doesn't follow it as quickly. Military, even if you're just changing sides, it takes time to move ships and people around. Mm -hmm. Politics can change in half an hour. Somebody makes a deal, somebody makes a bribe, and suddenly everything is different. And he hasn't figured out how to grasp onto all of that yet. It's too fluid okay. a situation. So it was, as you say, he needed a weakness. This was one that would fit with his character and be reasonable enough, right. especially after I explained why it is that way. Again, the, the scene you had in the most recent book, spoilers for people listening, if they haven't read the book yet, please do so, where the final of the plan to... to have each people, you know, running yeah. the drones, mm -hmm. and the one goes, "Are we sure we can trust this?" And the yeah. one and the the explanation Samacro, you gave there. who doesn't particularly like him, but he understands him. Yes, because he doesn't play politics because he can't play politics. Yes, I thought that was a beautiful scene, and ex yeah. again, using other people to illuminate right. Thrawn, mm -hmm. which is one of the things I love the way you use character to illuminate the other characters like that. Yeah, a lot of the fun of writing Thrawn is throwing different people against mm -hmm. him and seeing how that interaction works, what their reactions are. You get a, a cast like, well, in any of the trilogies, you've mm -hmm. got a bunch of people reacting to him. Yeah, seeing those. As you say, the light coming, illuminating from their perceptions of who he is and his abilities and all. If you could pit Thrawn against anybody in any other sci-fi milieu, is there anyone you would love to pit him against? Like a Kirk or a, for example, is there anybody that you would think that would be a fun story to write? Oh, let's see. I don't, it's, that's, that's hard to come up with since universes, mm -hmm. the tech is different. You can't Enterprise versus Star Destroyer. Yeah. Well, Enterprise has got transporters, but if they were existed in the same universe, eventually they would get transporters, and mm -hmm. every, the technology all, always spreads out. And I do um, love the way you grounded a lot of the Star Wars tech, especially mm -hmm. what you're doing with the Skywalkers. I thought that was yeah. a, oh, that's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? That's a, <laughs> that, that, It's fun because anything you do like that gives limitations, mm -hmm. which makes it more challenging to plot, but more rewarding too because then the readers know you can't just wish your way out of this this right. uh, corner how is it how, how are you within the rules you've set up going to do that mm -hmm. if i had to see i i suppose i don't know how challenging it would be but i would really like to see thrawn uh meeting oh say the 10th doctor mm, that would be fun david Tennant. Yeah. um i had often wished to see tom baker up against kirk Right. But, uh, yeah, Thrawn, uh, not against, but meeting with mm -hmm. the Doctor would be an interesting matchup. 
probably they would wind up on the same side dealing with whatever the threat was. I don't know if the BBC will let me uh, do a crossover like that. Right. Typically, they have not allowed anybody except Brits with British passports to write Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I figure it's only a matter of time before Disney buys the BBC. (laughs) In which case, I I may have a shot at it. All right. Final question. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to let us know to look for in the new book uh, when it's coming out, which everyone should buy the minute it comes out, if you haven't already pre-ordered it? comes out in November. I hope I will have delivered on the characters I've set up, the plot threads I've set up, and the goal is to make an exciting, interesting, and ultimately satisfying ride. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a great honor. Um, all the best of luck to you. Great sales. Thank and you. I am looking forward to reading the book so, so much. Thank you for your time. Uh, once again, this has been Gary with the Execute Chapter 66 podcast. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. Welcome to the podcast. Back from the tobacco capital of the world, Mr. Gary Mitchell. Well done, Gary. Thank you. I, it took all my willpower not to say this is special correspondent Manny Bothans. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been fine if you'd said that too, but uh, that was great. Now I feel like, uh, well, okay, to be fair to me, Timothy Zahn was the first person I ever interviewed, so oh. I didn't know what I was doing. But uh, yeah, you you showed me how to do it. You know, I, like I said at the very beginning, I knew I didn't want to ask him the everybody asks this question, and I know there are questions that he can't answer. Uh, so I made sure to, to poll the three of you and get your questions and threw in one or two of my own and tried to go at it at a different angle. And as you may have noticed, he was a little difficult at times to pin down, but uh, he was uh, he was very pleasant. He was a charming gentleman and uh, meeting him at a con. I highly recommend you do it if you get a chance. Yeah, those Disney NDAs are a thing. Yeah, I only heard one thing, and that was the Aralani ascendancy. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more Linda and Lesser Evil. I actually just made a note of that. I was like, ooh, books about Linda. And immediately followed by, you think he'd be mad if he knew that we gave his characters nicknames like Linda (laughs) and Mark and Ted? He might. I don't know. (laughs) He's like, did you buy it? (laughs) Okay. Do I have your money? You can call him whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And he did say it was. this is pretty much the only time you can get an interview with, out of him because he says when he's at home writing, he's home writing. And it takes too much yeah. of his focus away from that to even think about doing interviews. So so how did this come about, Gary? Uh, well, uh, my good friend, James, who I've known since 1988, <laughs> is actually the chairman of Congregate. And his lovely wife, is uh, Tara, is head of uh, programming and guests. And uh, I basically used my influence to go, hey, I'm already you guys know me. I'm a you know, I'm already a guest at the convention. And would it be possible for me to get five minutes of his time? And they they were kind enough to ask him for me. And he agreed. And I went through the roof in enjoy. (laughs) That was more than five minutes. Much more. So good. Good for you. Uh, I, I was very pleased at how generous he was with his time he's always noticed that he's generous with his fans he talked to everybody at his table i actually got to talk to him at his table before the interview uh where i got him to sign my copy of alliances and my uh my thrawn action figure my star wars black figure which i think i sent you guys the picture of you did awesome did you catch that when he was talking about getting permission to write more thon it wasn't if disney lets me or kennedy it was specifically Filoni, Filoni has to give me permission. Yes. Yeah. I was like, huh. Filoni is now Lucasfilm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Getting Filoni's permission is the same thing now. Yeah. We talked about this before, his um, perceived promotion that he got a few months back. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, how it wasn't really anything official, but oh, this is what that is. <laughs> it's, right. He's the Star Wars czar now, especially when it comes to these characters, the TV characters. And I can't imagine Filoni having a problem with more Thrawn being out there as long as he, he had some, you know, Okay, you can't write about this still, but yeah. as much as I like Thrawn, I am okay with an Arlani book and some Linda books and some Mark books and, you know, what Ted and Steve are up to with their political machinations. Yes. He had an interesting, he had an interesting idea too there where he said, um, yes, you could do a book after Lesser Evil or you could do a book after Thrawn Treason. Yes. And so you could stay in the ascendancy, but you would have everyone's favorite character, Eli Vanto. Yes. Who, whose yeah. favorite character is that? Everyone! I will definitely be putting in a clip of Gary Oldman right there. <laughs> <laughs> I used it last time Gary was on. <laughs> One thing I did learn about Timothy Zahn is if you ask him who's going to win a fight between Superman and Batman, he's going to break out Bruce Wayne's finances. Yeah, <laughs> he was so like when you when you when you said that he was like, well, it's hard to pick somebody because the text different. And you're like, yes. no, you're that's that the spirit of the question. Who cares if who has phasers <laughs> and blasters? <laughs> well, that and he was also it was very surprising to me how adamant he was that there is no difference between classic Thrawn and modern Thrawn. I, yeah, yeah, I just don't. They feel so different to me. They do. Mm hmm. But he was almost, like I said, he was very sharp about they're the same character. I, you know, he didn't even let you finish your question. Yeah, he, he was very insistent. They're the same guy. But I see what he's talking about, though. Right. Like he he never got to write young Thrawn in the mm. expanded universe. He never wrote Thrawn this young. True. So to him, we, we have talked about the difference between, yes, between these two Thrawns and between Warlord Thrawn and Protagonist Thrawn. But the one thing Protagonist Thrawn doesn't have that Timothy pointed out here is that um, he doesn't have the power. Yeah, right. And we've talked about that Rebels Thrawn is pretty hardcore. So yeah. maybe the end of Lesser Evil sees a shift. But he is not on the same trajectory. Mm. You know, he sees them as the same character, but they're not on the same path. Yeah. Rebels Thrawn, Ascendancy Thrawn is not going to end up as the new emperor five years after Return of the Jedi. Right. And so we're actually never going to see this version of Thrawn become that version of Thrawn. So it'll be interesting to see where he sees him going. This Thrawn, all of them, given the type of power that he's given, where he doesn't, like, like he said, he doesn't have to pay attention to politics. He's the one making the decisions. He's the one making the rules. He's not beholden to anybody. Exactly. So I, I thought that was an interesting exp explanation. I don't 100% agree. I do think there are some differences. Yeah. It's been how many years now since Heir to the Empire? Uh, 30? It came out in 90, what, 1, 2? 91. Like 91, somewhere yeah, in there. So yeah, 91. Yeah, so we're talking 30 years now. God, I'm old. I don't know. I mean, he created all this. Like, even even the the new canon stuff, like, how much of it is Filoni drawn from the universe that Zahn launched? Mm -hmm. He's the only guy who was writing back then who is still writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Like, he started writing Star Wars books in 91, and he's got a new one coming in November. And not only that, we're excited for it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else did that. Stackpole's out. Mm -hmm. Anderson's out. Yeah, Anderson's out. Lucino is has been around. We'll see if he ever comes back. There are out. rumors. Let him rewrite Darth Plagueis to fit in the new canon. Yeah. Damn right. I did really like the fact that he cut you off. Yes. He was like, <laughs> uh -huh. same guy. 
Same guy. And you're, you're like, okay, I guess you've heard this question before. I was going to say, it sounded like a good question to me, but uh, clearly he's heard it before because he was ready. Probably a good question for several people. I'm going to ask you to Dragon Con again this year. <laughs> and while you're at it, ask him about Mara Jade, because I'm sure he doesn't hear that ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Um, anything else you wanted to say? Just that it was a pleasure to do it. Um, and I was... Hoping to also get Stackpole as well, since he was there, but I didn't work that out. But he is coming to DragonCon, so I might be able to... Again, I know people, and I'm going to abuse those connections when I can. Well, uh, we'll all be at DragonCon, too. You might actually be on panels as part of my track, if I'm not mistaken. Quite possibly. I haven't been told which ones. <laughs> well, I will go ahead and let this go then as a, a uh, an exclusive for Execute Chapter 66 listeners that we have put into the schedule a Execute Chapter 66 panel at DragonCon as part of the American Sci-Fi Classics track. Topic to be decided by the three of you. Oh, oh we, we have decided. Stay tuned if I can actually make it. If you can't, we'll get a cardboard cutout and say it's the same. <laughs> we'll put up an iPad. So uh, you want to stick around while Ryan reads us through the news? Sure. All right, Ryan, what's uh, what's running around the hole in it? Oh, various things and such. HasLab revealed their Marvel project today. And it was immediately followed by the official announcement that the next HasLab will be a Black Series wrinkle. Mm -hmm. It's not really surprising. Everybody's kind of assumed and known this was going to happen. We've actually seen it before um, or a version of it. They had it at, I think, San Diego maybe a couple of years ago. So it's been made. I'm sure it'll be a little different when it comes out. With HasLab, they do a lot of, you know, if you've never done a HasLab, it's a one of those where they have to get so many people that pledge that they are going to buy this thing. Like the Galactus they announced today was, I think they have to get 14000 It's like a Kickstarter for a multi-billion dollar corporation. It is. And so we'll see. I don't, The Rancor, there's rumors that um, it might come with the new Java, possibly with his little platform, which was previously a San Diego exclusive from a long time ago, like when the Black Series started. Another push goal that has been rumored that I bet is true is that um, Malakili, you know, the Rancor Keeper, will be a figure that's one of the push goals. Will he have an alternate crying head? I hope so. <laughs> I don't even need an alternate head. I just want him crying. Just sad. The Galactus thing announced today was $400. Um, Jesus. Oh, my God. The yeah. Rancor won't be quite as big. Like, that Galactus is 32 inches tall. I mean, the thing is insane. It's beautiful. It is Galactus. It should be pretty big. Still not to scale. <laughs> it's still not to scale, but the, the Reed Richards they had with it goes up to, like, the top of his boot. He has, like, LED lights. I'm not saying he's not worth $400, but I ain't got that kind of money. Yeah, that's, that's not my toy budget. But the Rancor will be significantly smaller, so I'm hoping... I'm guessing he'll probably be 150 to 200, um, just based on the snow speeder. So we'll see. Hasbro's also announced their Hascon exclusives for this year. Uh, Hascon is, you know, when COVID happened and the big conventions didn't happen, all the toy companies kind of made their own little conventions that are online. And so that's kind of how they release their exclusives. So this year, the exclusives for Hascon for Star Wars, for the uh, vintage line, they're doing an Emperor with the throne that's got like a little window behind him. They are doing a Cantina 
showdown box looks really good. It's in like, looks like the old Power of the Force 2 green uh, packaging. And it's got, it's nice. It comes with like the Cantina bar. It's got Ponda Baba. It's got, um, Ponda Baba's arm does not come off, which I think is a shame. I don't like you either. Yeah, that's a, that's a big miss. <laughs> yeah, but that looks nice. Yeah, and it, and an Obi Wan. Yeah, and an Obi Wan, which is good. Obi Wan hasn't come out for a while. Obi Wan was a San Diego Comic Con exclusive a couple of years ago, so you know I think it's weird they're doing that again. But this Obi Wan will have face scanning, which that one did not, so it will look infinitely better. I found a Bo Katan in the wild today. Ooh. Oh, did you? I've never seen her in the wild. I mean, I got mine from Hasbro, but yeah, so did I. But I found one at a Target today. It's a wow. different Target than I've ever been to. And then I also found the new Dark Stormtrooper. Um, mm-hmm. crosshairs guys mm-hmm. yeah i hadn't seen either in a store i've never seen bo i've seen the trooper i've seen who else is in that wave i think hunters in that wave i've seen those couple but yeah that wave was hard to find and then apparently the Costco reeve uh or sing and that new wave is starting to hit people are starting to find it the other Hascon exclusive which is the most exciting Hascon exclusive we are getting a trapper wolf figure <laughs> It's so good. Oh, it's so exciting. It looks so good. You can have your own little Dave Filoni. Ryan, I've never wanted anything more. It looks just like him. It looks so good. It really does. Now, he is going to come in the like, I don't know what they're calling this packaging. Um, They've done a few. They did the armor in a package like this. They also did a Cad Bane in a package like this, where it's not the standard Star Wars Black. It kind of slides out. um, So it's a more like collector's box. It, it just looks really good. Yeah, this, it, it's hard to know. Hasbro's doing a lot more trying to make figures easier to buy and not selling out as fast. But the last time they did Hascon ones like this, particularly the armor that was like a special armor that had some soft goods and the Cad Bane that came with Toto, like those went quick. The Trapper Wolf, we'll see. You know, if you're a Hasbro Plus member, you get in first. And I would be on there ready to buy it as soon as it pops up. Because, yeah, I bet he goes quick. I made a Dave Filoni figure, man. It's just awesome. The only way it could be better is if he had, like, came he came with, like, an interchangeable hat. So you could put a cowboy hat on him. Yes. That's spectacular, Beth. That's, write that down. Other news, they are, they're doing a Mandalorian special. You know, the first season had that, I forgot what they called it, but where they had the, like, was it six-part series on the making of The Mandalorian? Mm. Which is really good if you've never watched it. Isn't that the the gallery? The gallery. That's what it's called. Yeah, the gallery. So they are going to do another gallery. They're calling it gallery, actually. But it's just the making of the season two finale. So that's good. The last one, the show was really good. I'm looking forward to that. When you first said they were doing a Mandalorian special, I, I did wonder if it was for Life Day. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> and then our last thing tonight is just a fake Net story. If you have been keeping up with the Bad Batch, you know that Hera and Chopper have shown up. It's a young Hera. I don't know if I quite love the voice on young Hera, but it's not bad. I think the idea is her accent kind of grows. She kind of her accent kind of fades away over time. Yeah, I guess so. But the last two episodes have been about her and then the season finale, which will be airing next week as of this recording, will also have heavy Hera, I'm assuming. But the new rumor going around is that live action Hera will be on Andor at some point. 
And so they're kind of bringing her back in, you know, keep her relevant. And then we'll get to see her on Andor, which I, you know, I'm all for it. I want a live action chopper. Well, if you have a live action Hera at the time of Andor, you have to have a live action chopper. Apparently she's had chopper her whole life. Wasn't chopper in Rogue One in a long shot? So he zooms by. And they say Hera's name. Like, I mean, they... They call to her. General Syndulla, please report to the reading room. I got very excited when, like, just Cham Syndulla showed up. Yeah. I was, okay, cool, Cham. And they mention their daughter. And I'm like, oh, that was nice, a little mention. And then they cut to this little, like, 13-year-old Twi'lek. And I was like, wait, mm-hmm. hold on. I want to hear, like, Filoni's pitch for that episode where he's like, and we're on Ryloth, and then Hera shows up, and then finally somebody's like, um... So where's the Bad Batch in this episode? <laughs> and he's like, look, look, they'll touch down for a second. Then they're going to leave again. To add War of the Bounty Hunters is still rolling along. I'm completely caught up in the comics. It's, again, the central premise I don't love, but it's been a lot of fun. They're at the point in the story where they're having this large auction to auction off the frozen Han Solo. And uh, a lot of our favorite characters are all in this auction at the same time, including everyone's favorite unscrupulous archaeologist. Mm. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, except for Valance. Not Valance. No one likes Valance. Well, Gary, thank you so much for coming by, and oh. thank you so much for doing that for us. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. The second I said the, I, I realized I had the opportunity on this. I had to go for it. Help you guys out. You did a great job, and we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. Any anytime you want to talk to some famous Star Wars people for us, you just let us know. You got it. Uh, do you want to go ahead and pitch anything before you go? Please watch the classic track on YouTube every Thursday night at 9 p.m. live there or on the Facebook. Uh, some of the people on this podcast have been on there. We are also coming into Dragon Con very soon. You can find me there on the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics track. And um, that's pretty much everything I've got to pimp. Gary, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Are we not still friends? The last time I saw you, you gave me a knife and loaded blaster and told me to wait in a bunker till daylight. I knew you were safe. You left me behind. You were already the best soldier in my cadre. I was 16. I was protecting you. You dumped me. You were the daughter of an Imperial science officer. People were starting to figure that out. People who wanted to to use you as a hostage. Not a day goes by. I don't think of you. So this week we're talking about Rebel Rising, a book which heavily features the character Saw Gerrera. We only talked about him a little bit last time, but he is much, much more involved in this book. So I think we need to sit and talk a little bit more about Saw Gerrera because he spans a lot of media. He is in books. He is in cartoons. He is in movies. He is in video games. And he is a very interesting and I would say probably divisive character because I think you guys like him more than I do. I love him. He straight up murdered Captain Panaka. Uh, Grand Moff Panaka deserved to die. Don't be a traitor. That's because Saw's a terrorist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a freedom fighter. (laughs) Well, yeah, depending on your point of view. Yes. (laughs) From a certain point of view, he's a terrorist. (laughs) He is what the rebels are desperately fighting not to become, but 
kind of need to be a little bit. Right. That's that problem is that fine line between what you want to be, what you start out being and what you become. Yes. And I don't think he, he meant to become that. He just did become that because of everything that happened to him. And I get it. He had a raw deal. To me, here's the difference. Saw is a he came up in the Clone Wars, as we know, he was you know fighting basically, basically leading an insurgency on Onderon. Mm-hmm. That's the type of war he knows how to fight is a war of insurgency, a war of guerrilla tactics, a war that employs terrorism, a life of a freedom fighter. That is why I think his death in Rogue One is so important is because he knows that the next step is war. Wars are run by politicians. Wars are not run by freedom fighters. And so the type of war that needs to happen in order to restore order, Saw actually can't be part of. And he kind of knows that, I think. He's the stopgap measure. Mm-hmm. He's the in-between measure that keeps pressure on the empire, that keeps keeps people aware of everything that's going on. But once the war happens, it makes sense that he has to step away or get blowed up. There's no place for him in the Rebel Alliance. His, the way he likes to fight, or the only not, not the way he likes to fight, the only way he knows how to fight does not work in a quote-unquote civilized war. Killing Panaka, yeah, I'm okay with that. It's, it's not the worst thing he did. I mean, he did no. worse. We'll talk about some of the things that I consider much worse tonight, but... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if the Republic and the Jedi weren't going to get involved in Onderon, they sure got involved. I mean, they got super duper involved for people saying they weren't going to get involved. And I think what happened to Saw was a lot to do with the Republic and the Jedi and what happened during the Clone Wars. Well, yeah, I mean, he's been fighting a a war for... His whole life. Yeah, his whole adult life, right? He's Mm -hmm. been fighting a war. And yes, that makes him into who he is. I I think he's... I think he thinks he's righteous, but I don't think he thinks he's like not... He's not uh, damned. Like, he knows the shit he's doing is awful. 100%. But he does think it's justified. He thinks it's a necessary evil, yes. Uh, He's not a good guy. They've been very clear, like the whole point is he's not a good guy. He's he's on the right side. He's not a hero. He's uh, he's the Punisher, right? Like the Punisher's technically on the side of the good guys, but his methods are abhorrent. Do you think there's a bunch of Republic security officers going around with a saw sticker on the back of their car? <laughs> I, I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the worst analogy. No. He's also important because he came from the cartoon and then they got an Academy Award winner to play him. Like, that's a pretty big deal, too. Yeah. I'm curious to see with Andor, because Andor is going to kind of hit on some of these themes, too. Surely they're going to have to talk about him. And the rumor is he might show up again. It's I think that kind of fight between what's the rebellion going to be? You know, is it going to be this derby tactics and do all this stuff versus is it going to be, you know, a clean, keep the moral high ground? And, you know, I think there's an argument for both. Like, I think the politicians, like, I think Bale and Mon Mothma, what their job is, is to look past, like, if we win this war, what does it look like afterwards? And I think that's why they want to maintain, they don't want to become what the Empire is because they're afraid that, they're, they're, they're looking at the long game. Yeah, it's the difference between like they are fighting for something and Saw is fighting against something. Yes. Saw fights against the Empire and that's what it is versus the rest of them, which are looking forward to this Republic or whatever. And I think, you know, and we'll talk about this. What makes him interesting, though, is, you know, the relationship with Jen, it compromises him. I, don't know, I think there's more uh, there's a lot more stories to him, I think, that I would like to see. 
I just love this idea of this guy. He like came up as uh, fighting as a freedom fighter in the Clone Wars. His sister gets killed. We all remember that. We go away from him for a little while and he's still fighting. Right. And that's it's all he knows. And he keeps, as we know, by the end, he's got barely got a body left. Right. He's mm-hmm. been he, he's given even before he dies, he's given every bit of flesh almost that he can yeah. to this fight. And he knows how to do it. And this mm-hmm. is how he knows how to fight. I just think there are times where and again, you never want to. It's always a it's always a funny line because you never want to endorse terrorism. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. Is it terrorism to blow up the Death Star? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I was going to say to you, like, Saw, like, Saw's background, you know, we now we've seen him on Bad Batch, we've seen him on Clone Wars, like, there's this, like, you know, level of the loss he has taken, and you look at Bale and Mon Mothma and them, and yeah, the Empire kind of gave them a raw deal, you know, well, by the time we get to Alderaan, obviously it's bad, but before yeah. that... That went poorly. They're still senators. Like, they're still, you know, yeah, we can see the Empire's doing some bad stuff, but we've still got our apartments and we've still got our lives, more or less. Whereas, you know, Bad Batch, you see Saul on the run already and the Empire coming after him. So that probably kind of informs that freedom fire mentality. Well, and you know, there's a couple of different groups out there fighting. Mm-hmm. He's just one of them, but because of his reputation, because of his experience, and because he does get some results, you know, he's 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 been risen to a, a place of prominence. You you do wonder if him and Mod Mothma had be able had been able to square things away. How powerful could they have been? Yeah, if he had been able to give up his guerrilla ways. But you know, Star Wars is is, is rooted in uh, westerns and samurai movies as much as as it is any kind of science fiction or anything. And you know, there's always that western character you know, uh, John Wayne and the searchers that like knows that he's not a man of the current times mm-hmm. knows that, the, that the future that's happening is happening needs to happen, but he has no part in it. And that's what I kind of feel like saw in, in rogue one is where he's at. Like he knows that he has no part in this future mm-hmm. and he's okay with that. <laughs> you know, he's like, it has to happen. Any depiction of saw is going to try to ride that line between terrorist and freedom fighter. And I think those are entirely subjective words. Yeah, I agree. I, I have loved seeing the progression from, uh, what was he in, two episodes of Clone Wars? One? Two. Two? Mm-hmm. To then casting Idi Amin to play him in Rogue One, which was <laughs> which was fun. And then him coming back to Rebels, right? And Force Whitaker playing him a few times on there. Mm-hmm. And now Bad Batch. And now, you know, they've had another actor playing him, of course. I'm assuming if he shows up on Andor, they're talking about Whitaker, right? Yeah, that's what they've said. It was also him doing the voice on Fallen Order. That was not the the voice actor. That was him. When I was editing our Leia episode, this kind of came up as well, or Catalyst episode. This came up as well. He is the Disney version of Garm Bell Iblis, <laughs> mm-hmm. who was the third pillar of the rebellion in the expanded universe, whose methods were too extreme for Mon Mothma and Bail Organa. He gets his hands a little dirtier than Garm did. He's a little more on the ground. He's a little more of a frontline guerrilla fighter than Belliblis was, but it's that same idea that there was going to be, yes, it's obvious to a, a good chunk of people we have to fight back against this empire. It's not obvious how. And I think from Saw's point of view, the only way you can do it is you, you nickel and dime them to death and, and you have mm-hmm. to strike and you have to demoralize people at the end of the day. And it is a flaw. He wants to use the same tactics that Palpatine uses, right? That's what terrorism is about, right? It's about causing fear. And that's what Mothma and Organa are trying to avoid is becoming the Empire while fighting the Empire. I think you can argue both ways on that, because I think part of that's just a convenient, pedantic argument. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and then there's also maybe some truth to that. Funny enough, my least favorite version of him is in Rogue One. I kind of like that crazy saw at the end. The the crazy Frank Booth saw Guerrera. It's a trap, isn't it? <laughs> what? The pilot. The message. All of it. <laughs> well, don't we see a little bit of that in this book? We'll get to it, but we I think a we see a little bit of that. We yeah, see he that does start book. to get beat up. Well, he gets messed up real bad in this book. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I actually think we did see it. We just don't see it. I don't think that's the only thing. I think there are other things because, you know, there is a big time lapse, too, for him where you don't see what he's doing. We should get to the book then because this is all going to talk because this, this is all in the book. Because <laughs> we're going to get into the book. Yeah. This, well, <laughs> we'll know because this is also all in the book. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a Saw Black figure. Do we? Black Series figure, do we? Uh, not yet. Hmm. When is that happening? I don't know. And it'll be curious to see. I mean, I imagine they will do the Rogue One version. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't announced with this recent wave of Rogue One figures. But I would love a Saw figure. Oh, yeah. Get my whole kind of uh, Founders of the Alliance collection going on. Or Ooh, they could do like a progression of Saw's injuries. Like he could have both legs at first. And then he comes with like a detachable leg that you can pop on a robot leg. Yeah, now we're getting into deluxe figure territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe he'll be a build a figure. <laughs> Rebel Rising takes us from the eight-year-old Jin Erso we first met in Rogue One to the young woman who becomes the rebel hero in Rogue One. Essentially, we're filling in a long gap in Jim's timeline. Jin begins in an Imperial detention camp thinking over the things that led her there, both in this book and in the movie. The obvious answer would be the crime that led her there, but a lot of pretty bad stuff happens to Jin during the aforementioned long gap. After Saw rescues her from Lamu, he takes her to his base in an asteroid field on a small planet named Re. It's obvious that Saw doesn't have any idea how to handle kids, but he does the best he can by starting her in combat training. Hashtag parenting goals. Jin grows up around Saw and his partisan friends, but isn't really allowed too much time with them lest they discover who she really is. It doesn't help that she refuses to take off the kyber crystal necklace her mother gave her, while Saw is asking after Galen Erso and his kyber crystal research. Luckily, most of Saw's group are fighters and not mathematicians, otherwise more of them would be able to put two and two together, and Saw would have to kill a lot more of his own men. Although she's way too young to pick up a blaster and fight the Empire, she does eventually discover she's unnatural with code replicators. And now she has a way to help the partisans and make herself useful on missions. So at the still pretty young age of 14, Jin is faced with her first mission and discovers that training to kill someone is much more different than actually killing someone. Things take an even darker turn when, just about a year later, she witnesses Saw's group slaughter a festival full of people, many of whom are quite innocent, 
Just to send a message to the Empire, Jin begins questioning Saw's methods, as are several of the people who work with him. Members of the group begin splitting off and joining their own or larger groups, implied to have high-level support. Who could that be? On a simple recon mission to the mining planet of Tamsi Prime, they are betrayed by one of Saw's former friends, and he leaves Jin behind while he makes a break for freedom. His growing and not entirely unwarranted paranoia keep him from coming back for her, though. And at the tender age of 16, Jin is left alone to make her way in the galaxy. Luckily, she meets up with small businesswoman Akshaya Ponta, who takes her to school the planet, not the building where children learn things. Not only is Akshaya conveniently nice, she also has a convenient son named Hatter, who's just about Jin's age, and the two conveniently hit it off. But of course, nothing lasts forever, and one day the Empire turns up on school while there just happen to be rebellion recruiters around. Jin flees with the Ponta family in their two ships, but a fight in the skies above school take out one of the freighters belonging to Akshaya and Hatter. After losing her third family, Jin drifts around the Five Points System Central Space Station until she gets picked up by an Imperial officer who noticed her shuttle's forged clearance codes. Now we get some Ocean's Eleven kind of silliness where somebody's trying to take down a casino because Jin is forced to create gambling chips to help an Imperial officer sneakily pretend to pay off her gambling debts. That obviously doesn't go well, and when she's caught, the owner of the gambling den sends her onto one of his transport ships to doctor the documents of a bunch of slaves he's not quite ready to set free just yet. Instead, Jin gives the slaves the ship and the chance for revenge after she seals captain and crew in the airlock. After Jin spends a few years having adventures that the author decided we didn't need to know about, she is foolish enough to wind back up on the Five Point Space Station. This time, the Emperor forces her Empire forces her to infiltrate a group of rebels and plant a tracking code into their ship. While she may not want to do it, she doesn't see a way out and betrays the group she has come to care about, no matter how crazy she thinks they are for trying to fight back. Since Turnabout is fair play, Jin herself is then betrayed by the Empire and locked up in the prison camp where we first meet her. We then wind down to her meeting with Mon Mothma and Bail Organa, who we know are trying desperately to keep hope alive. While Jin doesn't like either the Empire or the Rebels, she takes her shot at freedom. And I'm going to stop here because otherwise I will be recapping all of Rogue One if I don't cut myself off. So, the end. You're currently calling yourself Liana Halleck. Is that correct? So, Chad, you had not read this before. I had not, no. I don't know why. So, did you feel like this was something that added anything for you? Either of you, actually, because I know both of you like Jin off the bat more than I did. Here's the thing about this book. I knew it existed, and I knew it was probably exactly what I wanted, but I still hadn't read it yet. And, uh... Yeah, it was exactly what I wanted. <laughs> For some reason, I knew like, oh, there is this book that's going to tell me more about the history of Jin Erso. And I really think I want to read that book. And I just for some reason never did. 
I no longer feel as bad about her dying at 21 because it turns out she was about 50 different people. <laughs> yeah. She's got a little bit of a, the second half of the book, she's got a little bit of a Dr. Afra mm-hmm. thing going on where she's kind of completely neutral, you know, and I'm a sucker for a father-daughter story. So I enjoy this stuff with Saw quite a bit. I like the fact that when he leaves the story for a while, I mean, he never quite leaves because she's always thinking about him. But when he physically leaves the story, the book shifts. It's got a different feel to it. And you miss it. The book misses him as a presence. And that actually helps, I think, um, helps you go along the ride with her. I miss Saw's presence. And in the and so I felt how she felt. But did the did the movie establish that she was a slicer? Uh, I mean, not really. <laughs> no, it did say she was in jail for faking documents, though. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but I they guess just they didn't go, go into detail. I guess they were going off of that. Yeah. Possession of unsanctioned weapons, forgery of imperial documents, aggravated assault, escape from custody, resisting arrest. Imagine if the imperial authorities had found out who you really were, Jin Erso. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I think it. It, it does exactly what it sets out to do. I mean, is any of it real exciting or any like mind blowing revelations? No. I mean, not really. No, but that's okay. Like you know, it, it gives you more kind of meat to how Jen kind of. Well, I don't know if it one hundred percent explains how she flips the switch in Rogue One. I think it does. I do too. It goes farther to it. Yeah, it's how she was raised. She she spent as much time with her father as she did with Saw. Oh, she's so, definitely more Saw's kid than she is yeah. Galen's kid. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. He had more to do with raising her than Galen did. Which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I had to pick fathers, Saw would not necessarily... It, it was nice to see, though, a woman in a Star Wars book have a terrible father. Yeah. That completely screwed up her life, <laughs> as opposed to all the sons that we get to see having their lives screwed up by their terrible fathers. This is going to seem cheap, but compare this to free fall. They're trying to do the same thing, right? Free falls. Yeah. They're both trying to do the same thing. They're trying to fill you in on the backstory of a character. You know, one of them obviously does it a lot better than the other, <laughs> but, it, but they're, but they're in the similar vein. And I think maybe that's why, because is this a YA book? I think technically. Yes. Technically it is. I didn't realize that until I went to pull up the fandom page on it. And uh, Wikipedia has it listed as a, not only has it listed as YA novel, but doesn't have a lot of information on it. So luckily, I just finished rereading it and could pull all this off my head. It doesn't feel like a YA book. You can tell it's a YA book because it has the one sexy time scene. Oh, and they true. all have one. They all, they, all, they all have one. I guess I'm losing my virginity now. Fade to black scene. <laughs> yeah. To me, this is, this goes in the same basket with Free Fall, but also with, uh, and I, I know you guys didn't like it as much, but I did with um, Most Wanted. The Han and Tira prequel. It kind of fits into the same, you know, in Phasma as well. Uh, Those others were YA, though. Phasma, definitely not YA. If you want to read Phasma, do not have your kids read it. It is a (laughs) grotesque, (laughs) dark, grotesque book. Way too much murder. Way too much sucking the life out of your dead relatives and slathering them on your skin to live forever or whatever the hell they were doing. I went into this book thinking, man, I wish we had more stories about Jen. And then finishing this book going going like, there are no more stories about Jen. Uh, I mean, unless they want to cover every single thing she did between escaping from the slave ship, but I don't think it's necessary. We know her whole life story. It's obviously a tragic one. It's terrible. Oh, yeah, nothing good happens to her. No. Which makes her sacrifice in the name of good even more powerful. Mm-hmm. Part of it is she's got nothing to lose and none of the Rogue One crew, you know, they're all kind of, you know, that's, that's how you get a suicide squad, right? 
Right. <laughs> Got to get a bunch of people with nothing to lose. So you have to kind of have that. But her sacrificing herself for this grand ideal, you know, when life has done nothing but kick her around, um, I think is is powerful. And it makes her character uh, obviously deeper. I got more of that from the movie. Even though we don't see it, they say it. To me, it wasn't as much of a flip in the switch to turn into a rebel because it's explained at the beginning of the movie that she was one yeah. and that she's just been living. She's been living off the radar. She's been living as Liana. Liana Halleck. Liana Halleck. She's been living as Liana. She's been neutral. She's even worked for the Empire a little bit. The fact that she ran with Saw means that she was not neutral. <laughs> yeah, right. but did she have a choice? Maybe She not. had to run with Saw because that was her only option. Sure. I think what helped it for me was having her boyfriend die and she doesn't know what killed them beside it was either the empire or it was the rebels yeah that was a nice touch yeah they died somehow and, and it's that old thing if a car hits you doesn't matter what color it is no i thought that was effective you, you knew as soon as you heard the, there was the explosion behind them you were like "Ooh, okay yeah. that's not although i thought that was a very stark image of having like a shred of the ship embedded into her ship it was it was very dark that was a nice way to answer the question that the readers knew but that she would have this she does kind of bring a trail of destruction around with her right yeah i think saw made the smart move by uh dumping her off somewhere because she (laughs) she really does just bring badness wherever she goes the reason why she is mad at saw in rogue one is because he left her yeah this book shows us that which is nice she was a little young to be left anywhere but you know he had also trained her for eight years. How old was she when he left her, though? 16. I mean, 16, Leia's like kicking ass at 16. She's fine. 16 is Star Wars. Yeah. You know, and in war. I mean, you know. Yeah. He has more confidence in her than we do and then that she does. I also think, again, he's a very flawed character. Should he have left her? No. <laughs> no. Probably not the responsible or, or kind thing to do. But, but his his paranoia does make sense because, and especially now, because after reading this book, I can see why he would say, you know what, um, I am going to have to kill everybody I know at this rate that we're going here. So, well, he's also she's the only one that he trusts 100 percent. Yeah. And I don't think there's part of me that thinks that he doesn't want her around because of the shit he's going to have to do. Well, he he did seem ashamed of the the stunt he pulled with the massacre, the flechette launchers. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was that was brutal. That was not a good thing that Saul did. Sure, it was a flower festival, and he murdered everyone. Have you ever been to a flower festival? No, I, I mean I can understand the urge. I am <laughs> certain that I would want to kill everyone at a flower festival, especially if they weren't serving good enough alcohol. But they had Tonnerre at this festival, so didn't Stone Mountain have a Yellow Daisy festival? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yellow Daisy festival. Yeah, I've been once or twice when I was a kid, so uh, I can imagine it bringing murderous impulses. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask, because I don't know if I ever a hundred percent bought through this. Why is Saw so obsessed with finding Galen Urso? You know, honestly, I still don't get it. Even after reading this book multiple times now, I he wants to help Jin, but I don't know why he's so obsessed with finding Galen or finding out what Galen is up to, other than finding out what the Empire is doing. I mean, I guess, yeah, he knows he's working on something big, but like, I don't, the level of obsession about it with Saul was something I just didn't get. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think it's one, 
I think he wants to have he wants to find a definitive answer for Jin, even if it's just your dad's an imperial now. Move on. Mm-hmm. It is important for her to know that. I think you know. I think he thinks it's important for her to know. No, he's he's he joined them. He's gone for good. He's helping them. What I what I think happens is I don't think we see it necessarily. I think he what we find out when we're in this story is that he has caught wind of, of something. Yeah. Something big. And, and remember, he does know Galen briefly from when he rescued him. Um, he was their contact. So like he would want to find him. Maybe it's because Saul knows Galen better or or knows things about him. So it's easier for him to track. But I just think, yeah, he's picked up on something that Galen is involved in something gigantic. And that's yeah. what he's tracking down. I don't necessarily think we see that happen. I think it's just implied that he's been on this hunt for a while um, and he's been trying. He's trying to piece together this puzzle because remember, we never are alone with Saul. Yeah. Right. Where we only see him with Jin from Jin's point of view most of the time. And so, you know, when Saul's going off on his missions and stuff, we're not seeing what he's talking about. We're not seeing any conversations. We're only hearing Jin's point of view, watching them come and go. And uh, so I think there's something I think he's trying to piece it together. And that's what Bodhi ends up kind of being the final piece. Yeah. I mean, it'd help if Jen would stop her in that necklace. Just just put it in your pocket. (laughs) And I have a very difficult time believing that when she was thrown in prison, because they say she says in the book, luckily, they thought this was glass. Otherwise, they'd have taken it from me. Well, but why would guards of a prison leave you with a giant hunk of glass around your neck? That could easily be used as a weapon. We all know how you get things into prison. That's a that's a story from not the YA version. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I would also like to point right. out: Have you been introduced to the imperial justice system? Do you think there's actually competence going on yeah, here? Yeah, I thought it was a really funny moment where he's like, "Here, wear this scarf around your." Uh, yeah. For that, we need this will be good. Look good on the action figure. Yeah. The origin <laughs> of the scarf. Yeah. Yeah. While I, I watch this and I go like, oh, I know pretty much all about Jin or so. There's still a whole there's still a whole lot to saw that I don't know. Like we know he's out doing partisan stuff. We know he's out blowing stuff up. But like when, when he says in his message to her at some point, doesn't he say like we've set up a new base? Oh, no, the guy that he sends to track him. Yeah, he, so he doesn't he's come about, himself. He's talking about Jetta, right? Probably. I'm assuming so. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't think she's separated from Saw for, I guess, what, for like five years? Five years, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty long time. She has a lot so. of adventures. A lot of I silly so. adventures. <laughs> I like that she became like, sh- she spent her time as a normal. Yeah, for like a year, she became a housewife, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> and what I liked about it, though, is it wasn't the typical, like, yeah, she's obviously damaged for everything that's happened before. But she seemed fairly committed to it. I kept waiting for that lady to like turn on her or do something bad, but nope, just just a nice person. Or you know the moment in the Hurt Locker where she goes, he uh, Jeremy Renner, um, sorry Beth, where Jeremy Renner goes to the grocery store and he like he's come oh, yeah. back from the war, right? And he's looking at like a million cereals and he doesn't know how to choose it, and that's when uh-huh. he's like, I got to go back to the war. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I never got that moment where Jen was like, I got to get back in the action. She was like, no, this is pretty cool. I'm getting laid, yep. making some money. <laughs> Just kidding. Nobody's shooting at me. This is pretty good, which makes it even worse when it gets blowed up. I, I mean, I get why she's distrustful of that life at first, but also the rebels just happen to show up on the planet and it happens to be somebody she knows from her life with Saw and it just so happens that the Empire comes along right after that. like Coming from the Lost Stars fan. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's just her life just sucks. Like, she can't catch a break. Her her life sucks, but it's also like, 
and, and you you brought this up earlier, and I think you were dead on. What happens? And I keep I don't remember the name of the planet where she was living it up, but school, school. When uh, that's right, um, it's not that the empire comes and takes away that life. It's that the war comes. Yeah, she can't escape the war. Mm-hmm. She is destined to you know basically start this war. And she just can't escape it. Well, and I don't know that this 100% solves all the issues that I had with Jen in the movie, but it does go a long way to explain who she is and and what she's doing and the motivations behind why she is so distrustful of everyone and everything. Because she's got multiple daddy issues with multiple abandonment issues. So after reading this, I kind of I kind of get it. I guess here's what I don't quite understand. Go back to the first movie. How much did you know about any of those people? You didn't have a backstory for any of those people. We didn't have a backstory for Han until, I mean, we just finally saw it. And most people think it was unnecessary. So I'm trying trying to figure out what was lacking. Did you just not like the performance? That's completely legitimate if you didn't like the performance. I don't think it was a backstory problem as much as, well, a backstory would have helped with the problems I had. Because the problems I had were, I don't know why you're so angry and, and sullen and just pissy all the time. And why is Han Solo such an asshole? It seems so unwarranted. And and what is your deal? And yeah, but that's everybody. Yeah, but I get over the course of a movie, I get to understand who Han Solo is. I get to understand who Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are. I get to understand who most of these big characters are, but I don't get to understand why a main character in a movie all of a sudden flips a switch and is like, yeah, I'm a rebel now and I'm going to die on this planet. She is a rebel who then suppresses it and then is brought back into the fold. If you don't feel it, that's fine. I, I think your problem is, and listen, I kind of agree. I don't think Felicity Jones is particularly electric in the role. I think she's a little bland. I think that's one of the problems. Maybe. I think Felicity Jones is a little boring. I think if she had a little more personality to her, you wouldn't care because you don't care. if Because if you like a character, you don't care about their backstory like that. Yeah. So I think part of it is she's a little flat. I mean, I don't think she's bad by any means. And I think she becomes a hard character to root for. And I don't think it has anything to do with not having a book or her flipping out a dime. Because like I said, I don't think that's true. I Because I don't even think she flips right away. She spends the middle of the movie deciding whether or not she's all in. I don't think she's completely all in until... She gives her speech. I think the difference is she's not Harrison Ford. She's not, you know, she's yeah. not, she's not even Daisy Ridley, at least in this performance, right? She's not someone that grabs you instantly and makes you like them no matter what they are. So I think your desire to know more about her, and, and I had that too, like I said, I was excited for this book. The desire to know more about her comes partially from the performance being maybe a little too subdued. And maybe you're not getting enough information from her performance. Um, because I think a lot of this stuff, you don't want any of this in the movie. No, I, I get why they would leave it out. I mean, I don't yeah. need to see in a movie all of the things that happened in this book. To me, with a movie, it tells me, all right, she's a disgruntled person who who left a life and now she's being dragged into the life because her she's got new information that her father's alive, that they're developing a weapon that can develop planets. And so she hops back in. That's all I really needed to 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 believe her as a character. Doesn't mean I loved her but it's all I needed to believe her. But this is why we like these books. People can watch the movies and then you read the book and it takes us a lot deeper and we learn things about her. Well, and here's one of the things we haven't touched on yet is a thing I liked about this book is, and I didn't pick it up the first time because I don't think I'd read Catalyst and uh, Rebel Rising close together before ever. Yeah. I like the little references that aren't full on big references. They're just little subtle nods to... The smuggler who got away, unbelievably, has Obit, 
and uh, some of the time that she spent with her mother on on the planet that mm-hmm. turned out to be like, you know, her her referencing her mother trying to save legacy planets. One of the big things she admired about her mother. Um, so, you know, all the little references back to Catalyst, I picked up this time. I did not pick up the first time I read it because they're little and they're easy to miss. If we weren't doing Rising Storm next, which we absolutely should do. If we weren't doing Rising Storm next, I would want to just roll straight into the Rogue One novelization because this is a trilogy. Yeah. Catalyst, Rebel Rising, and then the Rogue One novel or the movie. But I, you know, if you include it, just kind of how, you know, how they group the three uh, Darth Vader books on either side of uh, Revenge of the Sith is a, like, to me, this is a trade paperback. This is a trilogy and this is a really good trilogy. And, and it's a, it's a family, it's kind of a dynastic story, right? It's a, it's about two generations. Uh, it spans decades. It has, you know, it's a, about it's it's about so many different things. I think these three books as a whole, and I've never read the Rogue One adaptation, but I heard, and this one reason I do want to read it, I heard it does get more into Jin's mind. Hmm. I would recommend friends of mine who are just ca- more casual Star Wars fans, but who absolutely love Rogue One. I would recommend both these books to them. Yeah, definitely. You want to understand it a little bit more? Like you don't have to read anything else. Just read these two books. And you will have a better appreciation for Rogue One. Can't imagine that you wouldn't. No, I agree. And it did change my mind a lot on how I felt about Jin. And again, you know, whatever reason I didn't buy into Jin 100%. I know a lot of people didn't. Whatever the reason was, this bought me in because I felt for her differently. And I considered her character differently. Last night when I went and watched the movie again, I had a completely different appreciation for the character and what she went through and what drove her to do what she did. I was looking at the book. I didn't realize Alexander Freed wrote the Rogue One novelization. Oh, I didn't either. Oh, might have all right. To so <laughs> add that to the list. <laughs> yeah. Coming soon to a podcast near you. <laughs> as soon as we finish reading the new High Republic book, because I'm only halfway through. Hurry up. <laughs> So this is one where I actually bought the the audio novel. And besides it teaching me how to pronounce names like Akshaya and the planet Re, um, I do appreciate this book for helping me get into Jin's head a little bit more because the voice actor being a woman helped me get into her head a little bit more and maybe see things from Jin's side a little bit more as well. So if you're considering reading this book, I recommend the audiobook. Do they do a good Saw Gerrera voice? Uh, a woman trying to do a Saw Gerrera is not great. It, it just puts a little rasp into it. So I read it. I read it to myself, but I used one of those like old Monty Python lady voices. Was that okay? <laughs> yes. Okay. I don't know how much I'm hoping we see more stuff like this in the Bad Batch. But like we've talked about this era of the building of the rebellion, even though it doesn't have any huge impact on the story anymore, is still fascinating to me. It doesn't change anything. There's nothing they can do that's going to change anything. It's just giving us depth. And I really enjoy this learning about how the empire comes, how the rebellion, how the, you know, how the empire made its transition and then also how the rebellion then came from a bunch of people going like, well, this ain't right. <laughs> and slowly, you know, because the rebellion doesn't happen overnight. You get enough people going, this ain't right, that eventually they start meeting in cantinas and talking about it. Right. And it builds and builds and builds. <laughs> you start having dinner parties. 
<laughs> yes, and you start, or or if you're already in a position of power, you start having dinner parties. Yeah, even going further from the layage and like comparison, there's a good dichotomy too between like Saw and Jen on one side and Bale and Leia on the other, and how how they raise them different and all that kind of stuff. Father daughter pairs of freedom freedom of freedom fighters, uh-huh. yeah, adopted. They're the darkest timeline versions of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If Bale had hung up stormtroopers from the ropes and had her throw knives at them. Right. Like, what I do like is that she's really not Galen's kid when we meet her, right? I mean, I'm saying, like, personality, like, her, like, what she's good at or anything. She's good at being, she's good at what Saul taught her to be good at. She's not, you know, I don't, I don't think she's ever shown to have a a significant scientific mind or anything like that. She's not making any crystals. She's not making crystals. She's not goodwill hunting. She's just who Saul brought her up to be, who's just tough and mm-hmm. miserable. Um, have we read anything else from this author? Not that I know. Well, I mean, we as a group have not, but I don't remember ever seeing her name before this. From a certain point of view, I think had one. Mm, I think yeah, she did one right. from a certain point of view. I wasn't sure because I, I thought she was. I liked it. I'm sure she's got like nine. She's got like a 95 book YA series that's just a month away from being the next <laughs> next Netflix series. She wrote fully operational in a certain point of view. That was the one about oh when um Mahdi goes to try to convince Tar- Tarkin to use the oh yes yes uh huh to let Tarkin know that like hey you know you're the big dick in the universe now you don't need to listen to Palpatine anymore that's so, right you know, yeah not 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 in that many you know. <laughs> Not in that phrasing. It wasn't my favorite story of the book, but it was my favorite moment in the entire book. Yeah, it's a good one. I would highly, I said I would recommend to normals yeah. <laughs> uh, to read these two books. Yeah. So, uh, Schweck, do you think that the reason Alexander Freed chose Jyn Erso to be Chas's superhero is because he also wrote the Rebel Rising, or not Rebel Rising. <laughs> the Rogue One? Maybe. Absolutely. He already had a kind of an in into that character. Uh-huh. He already had her on the brain. Makes sense now. They all they all do that. I know, but I just didn't know that Alexander Freed wrote the novelization until tonight. Yeah. He also wrote Battlefront, the first Battlefront book? The second one. He wrote Twilight Company and Battlefront too. Oh, he wrote both of the Battlefront books. Okay. Yeah. So we're both Battlefront books, Rogue One and Alphabet Squadron. So yeah. Six Star yeah. Wars books, all of them pretty military based. He's their Tom Clancy. <laughs> or, uh, or you know, it was it stack stock stackpole was kind of like that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we don't knock Lucino for his nooks and crannies because it's it's politics and history lessons with Lucino. <laughs> yeah. Do we have any more, Beth, or we want to wrap it up and then? I I think we're good. I think we got through everything we wanted to get through. The shorter uh, I've noticed the that the better the book, the shorter the episode. Yeah. I feel like we're running really short here, but also no, I feel fine. like it's a good book and we talked about everything we need to talk about. Yeah, I mean that it is true. Like it it is it's just good and it's 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 not amazing like a Lucino book or, no. or a Claudia Gray book where we want to talk about it for two hours or for the rest of our lives, but like Ryan said, it's not it's really good. It's not particularly exciting. Yeah. It's not, there's nothing new to it, but what is just satisfying about it is kind of bringing it all together, even with the cliches that are involved, bringing it all together to help form, yes, a portrait of Jim, but also, I would say to date, our most thorough portrayal of Saul Guerrero, too. Oh, yeah. He's got more screen time in this than he has in anything else. 
right? Yeah. Well, and we have to remember as much as we've seen Saw Gerrera, it's it's been broken up over a lot of different things. And it's all been small bits over a lot of different things. Like he's in Fallen Order for what, one scene? One scene, yeah. A couple years from now. I mean, I would rather write it, but somebody, but you get Lucino to write the definitive history of Saw Gerrera. You know, like once once they've kind of told other stories, then I want a play just like book about him. Kind of bring it all together. Cause I the one thing I believe is a little bit of a drawback on Saw is he is so scattered. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have a complete hundred percent picture of him in my head yet. Like I understand him, but his story is still so is still so piecemeal. Unlike Jin's story, which can literally be told by just reading these three books, <laughs> you know, or two books and a movie. You've got her entire life story. Saw there's still so much more. And I will I I will say I liked how brutal this book got, despite it being YA. It didn't pull punches with Saw being what he is, but being human about it. You know, he shows like like you said, he shows regret. He doesn't like doing it, but he's someone of conviction who believes it's what must be done. The dream, right? He's talking about the dream. Does he see what the dream is? No more just, empires. The just dream. No more empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah no more empire. Yeah. You cannot about the cause. The cause? Seriously? The alliance, the the rebels, whatever it is you're calling yourself these days. All it's ever brought me is pain. You can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. One last little s- silly Star Wars note. I-, I understand dramatically why, but like... Uh... Man, it's a lot of this would be more effective if the Empire had been like was like 200 years old. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty quick. It's like shorter than the Confederacy on scale. It's a blip. It's actually it's I mean, if you think about a, a, a republic that lasted for how many generations? A thousand generations? A thousand, yeah. One of those generations <laughs> was the Empire. Just one. 19 years. Not even one. Half a one. Well, but as you see on the Bad Batch, they get moving quick. They like, do. They're registering people like day two. Like, And listen, if we had had 19 years of Trump, yeah. we would be feeling it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and we would be having dinner parties. Mm-hmm. So we talk about other stuff because the book's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's good. Read it. <laughs> Read it. There's really no way. There's really no way to spoil it. Because guess what? She's going to die. <laughs> She's going to die on the beach. Spoiler alert, extra spoiler alert, the book starts when she's in prison already. Well, so does the movie. Um, There's literally nothing to spoil. I hate to call it filler, but it is but it is fill, fulfilling, you know? It is, yeah, it's filling in something, but it's not filler. I mean, it, I mean, it, 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 it almost is filler, but that's okay. Yeah, it's backstory filler. For people like us and perceive it, obviously for people who would, who would be listening to this. You know, yeah, it's a nice little satisfying experience to, you know, we just want to learn a little bit more. And it's it's what we want from it. It's not what most people want, but it's what someone who is reading this book, I would say, would want. But you're not going to get, it's not going to rock your world. It's not something we can talk about for like three hours as as like a no. plagius. We're still talking about plagius. Still yeah. coming up with ideas for plagius. We I still, could still do another episode on plagius. I, I and we will. Like every once in a while, I'll be like, <laughs> "That's that's a new theory I have on plagius. <laughs> that's a new thought. I, that's a new thought I have about the galaxy." Sogarera used to say, "One fighter with a sharp stick, nothing left to lose, can take the day." They've no idea we're coming. They've no reason to expect us. 
If we can make it to the ground, we'll take the next chance. And the next. On and on until we win. Well, the chances are spent. All, All right, right, so... so let's, <laughs> well, no, I, I was going to ask you what we were talking about next time. Yeah, so I know. but So, Ryan, did we decide you're going to do... Galaxy Rising Storm. So then shut up, Chad. Schweck, <laughs> what are we going to talk about next time? Next time, we'll be talking about the newest of the High Republic books, The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, in which the High Republic has a fair. And shockingly, it goes bad. What? Who would have thought? To be fair, has a fair ever gone well? You know. It depends on how drunk I am. Yeah. Renaissance fair. Mead. Yeah, see, mine, my nights always end with a, a funnel cake that I don't finish. Mm. Uh-huh. Some bad <laughs> prizes. Yeah, some bad prizes and some funnel cake. All right. So we will uh, be talking High Republic next time. And thank you guys so much. We will be back very soon. I kind of want a funnel cake now. <laughs> right? You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger!